RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Wednesday morning is Legal Hub morning at Reality Check Radio. One of the highlights of the week, I have to say, because I learn so much and I always say this, never a dull moment in the law. And that's for sure. Katie Ashby-Coppins and Nick Kearney join me on Legal Hub. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. Morning, Paul. Morning, Morning, um, Katie. Morning, Paul. Hi. And welcome home, Nick. Well, as Dave Dobbins sung, welcome home. Thank you. Bit of a uh, bit of a rude shock in that uh, we spent three days in Dubai on the way back from Europe, and it's forty-five degrees there um, at the moment, heading towards fifty-two in July, August. I'm told. Wow. Uh, and I come back to Auckland, and it was six, I think, overnight when I came back to Auckland. So you that's could, uh, you could fry an egg on the roof of a car. Oh, spot on, because it's one of the taxi drivers uh, who drove <laughs> us around on one of the days to somewhere we were going made that exact point that you can do that. Mm. Um, do they still have the little birdies when you arrive home tweeting away? Uh, at, at Auckland? Yeah, at Auckland, yeah. Well, well, we didn't get a haka or, or a pofri or anything, so I didn't, I didn't see any birdies either. But oh, we did. Okay. But, I, but I do have to say that... Uh, you know, we visited well, how many airports, five, four or five, six airports while we were away in Europe, uh, maybe more, Dubai and whatever. Uh, and by far and away, uh, Auckland was the worst in terms of uh, how slow it was to get through, uh, how how disorganised it was, how, um, you know, MAF, if you want to call it MAF, or the border around, you know, um, biosecurity uh, queues two hours long to get through biosecurity at Auckland Airport. Um, every other airport we went to, Rome, Athens, man, these are busy cities, right? Dubai yeah. has nine, 90 million tourists a year. Um, uh, you, breeze, you breeze through them um, w- without even um, knowing, you know, really what you've done. And before you know it, you're walking out the other door. And everything at the a lot of things at the other airport, particularly Dubai, is, um, is electronic, is efficient, and is um, just... You know, next next level. Um, I was actually a little, I have to say, uh, disappointed and almost embarrassed to arrive at Auckland Airport to be put through uh, a queue of two hours to put our bag through to see if we were, you know, bringing back some honey or whatever it might have been. You know, it was quite um, quite annoying, I suppose. Why am I not surprised? Anyway, let's uh, get into it. And um, I saw this story a few days ago, and I'm glad you've brought it up for our Legal Hub chat, how employers deal with extremists in the workplace. What the hell is this? Yeah, look, this is um, a fascinating one, uh, Paul, and I think it's um, uh, arming employers um, or looking to um, uh, arm employers uh, as another um, uh, force of or, or means to control uh, the messaging that the government might not necessarily like. Um, and perhaps they're endeavouring to get employers to do that uh, sooner rather than later and before, you know, more hate speech laws come in. Uh, but essentially what the suggestion is, is that, um, you know, companies are uh, towing a, um, a, a close line or a narrow line as to uh you know, what behaviour they can condone in the workplace in respect of uh, differing opinions or extremist views. And they go to list a few different types of extremist views, such as being a Trump supporter um, or um, agreeing with the violent January 6 uh, insurrections and storming of the US Capitol uh, as extremist um, views that, if shared in the workplace, could they amount to serious misconduct um, or misconduct warranting termination? So here's another um, tool where the government is essentially suggesting or alluding to employers that um, they could take action and, uh, I guess, force people out of employment. You know that we do know that that is a, a very effective tool at um, getting people to toe the line, um, but they're suggesting that there might be varying views that might uh, give rise to the ability to terminate. And, you know, it seems a lot of this is down to perception, um, not doubting the fact that some people do probably sit in the um, lunchroom and make some... um, uh, All all of a sudden? No, that's exactly right. Haven't we been doing this all all the way along? If you can't sit down and have a general discussion about things, what can you have a discussion about? doesn't mean that you're an extremist. So, 
they're just suggesting that, you know, you could have a policy and if they breach the policy, you could then terminate them. So it's um, a case of following um, due process. And quite often at the end of the day, in employment law, as long as you follow due process, even if your reason was wrong, uh, you can often be found to have undertaken a correct termination. Okay, so this is outsourcing enforcement, basically, of of um, of how people should think or what they should say outwardly. This is an outsourcing of it. This, this is kind of like the pattern of outsourcing the vaccine mandate, right? It's the same yeah. pattern of play. Potentially, and you know, we saw a lot of businesses that didn't require vaccine mandates pursuant to the government orders. Um, but we saw a huge uptake of employers uh, taking it upon themselves to decide that uh, the risk benefit analysis or the health and safety risk analysis was such uh, that people needed to be um, uh, vaccinated to do their jobs, even if they sat all day in an office um, and only interacted with a few people employers still decided that they needed a vaccine policy. A lot of them still actually have their vaccine policies in place. Um, you know, it was one of the numbers I heard back in January of this year was 77% of employers that didn't require um, uh, vaccines under a vaccine order had still still had an independent employer policy requiring it. So, you know, they're doing the, they're doing the work the government can't uh, having an order so perhaps this is they realize similar. they're doing that don't they 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 realize they're actually doing that surely yeah yeah and and happy to comply and cooperate for what purpose i'm not uh, expecting to know the answer but you got to ask the question why would you do that look i don't know um there's been a huge um you know the guise of fear is or sorry the guise of the pandemic was uh, such that it created an enormous amount of fear um it's given rise to some concepts of mis- and disinformation, which we've been um, hounded with. Uh, now, if you've got a particular view about things, there is um, almost um, a, a violent opposition to, to anyone who has a view that differs from others that doesn't quite fit with what we're told is the norm. Um, Meantime, you're yeah. looking across the office and that guy's got it, that, guy, that woman's got it, they've had it for the four, four times in a row, but hey... <laughs> you know yeah it's no it is incredible it's a, it's putting the hate speech laws into an employ, employment policy um, so it's interesting that they've uh, chosen as examples that you've just uh, mentioned there trump and january the 6th i think there's a lot in those two uh, maybe there are more but there are a lot in those two mm. that tells you that tells you a lot those two um um points because that creates an obvious dividing line for people, for everyday people. Absolutely. So, you know, that, that, is, that is done on purpose, so on purpose. Correct. And then the other examples that they give, you will not be surprised to know, um, neo-Nazis, um, oh, okay. still waiting for that to be properly defined given um, the, you know, the very strong messaging um, from uh, the at the Posey Parker event, you know, who exactly are these neo-Nazis? Could you give me a proper definition? Um, and then also, um, you know, LGBTQIA um, and the like. So there are the sort of four examples that are given in this article about um, managers or employers um, managing extremists in the workplace. Katie, um, did you read the, uh, the online version or the um, hard copy version? Hard copy version. Right, Is the, the online, online version more enlightening, Nick? Yeah, it's worse. Um, and, oh. it, and if you think it, because I only had uh, the online version because I didn't see the hard copy version. And I, uh, when you sent it to me, I Googled the the headline, you know, mm. and, and got the online. The online version has link, links to um, the extremist organization uh, Voices for Freedom uh, oh, in, in its article. Uh, but but more but more uh, worryingly, bang smack in the middle of the online version is a uh, very brief um, snippet of Fire and Fury. Oh, oh crikey, really? Yeah, incredible. I hadn't seen yep. that. It must have been. It must come down to the different um, publication 
roles uh, yeah, in so the media, written media. It's um, pretty clear what, what, what's going online. on here. Yeah, so they had actually embedded embedded some URL links and some of the wording on the online version that you could click on. Oh. Um, and it brought and it brought up, you know, the parliamentary protest forces for freedom, etc. And then and then and then, uh, as I say, um, a brief video on fire and fury. Oh goodness! Um, yep. Sounds like a um, advertising uh, opportunity for stuff. Yeah. What? Hmm. What Heavens. sort of world are we in? <laughs> Dystopia. I mean, this is just. I didn't think it would get better, and it doesn't. Yeah. Does it? it? Yeah. So just on a, I mean, I remember, um, and this is a slightly uh, different issue, but same uh, topic in terms of you know workplace behaviour. I suppose um, I remember probably three or four years ago reading a case in our media. I think I think it might have been offshore. I think it might have been in England. But uh, a man, uh, it was a man. He was um, censured. Uh, I think a personal grievance or whatever you might call it. In the jurisdiction he worked in, I think it might have been England. Look, it might have even been New Zealand. He made a comment to a female work member or employee, fellow employee, that she looked good in the red dress she was wearing that day. Okay, so gee, you look good in that red dress. Now uh, she didn't like that comment. Uh, complained it was sexist or harassment or, or something. Um, uh, made an, a complaint to the employer, employer investigated, and I don't think it got as far as a personal grievance to you know the employment tribunal or the ERA, whatever you want to call it, but certainly made the paper, and this poor employee was uh, warned and censured for making such comments. Now, you know, I um, w- one of the things that I've noticed, you know, being um, in the work environment in my industry, law for, you know, and others, I suppose, but for you know, twenty plus years, is the how how can I say um, uh, workplace kind of um, social events, uh, including the absolute watering down and sanitisation of workplace culture over over the time. Um, I remember working in a law firm in the city, going back now, sort of probably uh, what. Uh, mid 2000s quite a big law firm in the city for a few years uh friday night drinks were a hoot you know um hundreds of people there were 150 would turn up um partners would you know put on pizzas as well and you you know you'd have a good laugh with the people you work with all week and if you, some of you would carry on and go out into the city and have a good night and whatever um uh, and there were some, you know, funny stories told on the Monday morning. We all laughed about it, and, and it was it was all it actually all, in my view, uh, added to a good banter and culture around the workplace. Yes, some inappropriate things probably went on, if you want to use that word. Um, but these days, you know, that just 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 doesn't exist. You know, um, it, it's very sad. Uh, I think, um, you know, where I am now, you'd be lucky if you get two people stay behind now for Friday night drinks. Um, and certainly some of the rules around, you know, what you must, you know, do. And, you know, even, you know, it's not just, it's not just the, I guess, the behaviour in the workplace uh, in that sort of context. But, of course, the the drink drive rules now have also, you know, come down to um, such small margins that, you know, you really can't stay behind at work and have more than maybe one bottle of beer before you could be, tipped up you know over the limit because it's so, it's only 150 or 200 you know micrograms so so it, unfortunately i think it's you know it's made um life a little bit dull in some of these workplaces but i guess that's um well when the you know, dull lead you that's what happens you know mm, when the, mm. the dull yeah 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 are in charge you're trying yeah. to be in charge yeah yeah and i'm not you know, look i don't I, I don't profess to i'm not trying to say look you know there's People should just, you know, layer up and who really cares or anything, but not at all. But um, I think we've, we tend to react to situations in this country that, you know, and you get events that happen in workplace organisations. So employers and governments and other people who set the rules and regulations go completely over the top and they set such a, you know, a response to it that's so strict and so um, uh, over the top that um, it just, you know, makes everyone's, you know, life even more difficult. And when in reality, it's the behaviour of perhaps one or two people out of two or three hundred that need to be looked at uh, 
yet yet the response involves everybody and everyone's life is poor or poor, in my view. Mm. Well, you know, I the only... To, sorry, sorry, can I, I just ask it? Nick something? Oh, yeah, go, go, go. Nick, yeah. pray tell me, were you working at the law firm, rather large law firm in town where one on Friday night um, one of the guys got stuck in the dumb waiter that got stuck between the two floors? <laughs> don't remember that, no. Well, it mustn't have been that. your law firm. It wasn't you, no. was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't me. No, I mean Nick. <laughs> oh. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't me. No, but but you know who are the extremists here? It's a perception, isn't it? Well, no, um, I, I know who the extremists are. Whoever's pushing this are the extremists. Yeah, and look, you look at the online version of this article, and the imagery is intentionally the, the imagery used is is simply to. Uh, exacerbate, polarize, and and manipulate those perceptions. Like it's incredible. It's the polar opposites. Um, it, it, yeah, it's certainly an antagonizing art version of the article. Comparing this online, I hadn't mm. appreciated such a such a stark difference, Nick. Yeah, astonishing, isn't it? I know. Appalling, astonishing, appalling. Yeah, uh, literally. Sorry, appalling is the word. To be honest, appalling journalism is, is, is really when I only looked at it this afternoon. Uh, as I say, when you know, Katie sent me through the um, a copy of the um, the photo of the actual hard line version, and I found the online version just because I wanted to read it before we discussed it, and I was just shocked, to be honest, shocked. Of course, the question is: Is it being reported in the way we're talking because there are clicks and income, or you know, is that what the the people publishing the story? And amplifying the story, really believe. Well, it's 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 stuff, Paul. It's stuff. Yeah. Dotco.nz. I don't think we need to say. I know some of the people involved. Doesn't surprise me. I wouldn't think that they would need to advertise some of their amazing documentaries because they receive so much money from the government to make them. Yeah. Well, you know, if you can have your fantasy indulged and someone else pays for it, I suppose you you take it. But anyway, we know that this is not going to end well. We can say that now, can't we? This could never end well in a workplace. Look, I do hope that uh, sense prevails, um, you know, losing good people over the fact that they have some personal beliefs um, kind of indicates that, well, it certainly indicates that, um, you know. Well, I think we saw from the three years and the people I've spoken to on this program who are incredible, incredibly skilled in their fields, worked in in their fields for decades, really, you know, at the time, essential members of staff. That didn't matter at all. Correct. And so it's, you know, the threat isn't a medical procedure now. The threat is now, uh, you know, holding a different view. Um, And that is Thought Police 101. Thank you, uh, 1984. Mm. And look, there is a shining light, if if there is one in in this, Paul, in that uh, the very last, I think, paragraph or so, um, Michael Wood, the Employment Relations Minister, um, was, he confirmed that the government has no plans to amend or um, you know, look at employment laws in relation to any of these issues. So I guess that's, well, not yet anyway, not yet well, anyway. Well, he doesn't have to because he's saying that you could have, have a policy that yeah. sets well, it out. And here point, I'm going to suggest point. to you how, how you can do it. It's outsourcing it so you don't have to do it. That's that's the thing. Fair point. And I suppose if they introduce hate speech uh, and some of the stuff of deemed to be hate speech, you won't be allowed to say this stuff in your employment area because it's a criminal offence, basically. And, and and if it's a criminal offence and you commit it within your work environment, you're gone instantly. Oh, dear. Mm. Yeah. Nick, don't wear that pretty red dress to work, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and I hope no one says, Nick, that's a pretty red dress because that would be all over for them then, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? You look good in that red dress. Something very similar to that. And I just thought, you know, again, we come back, you know, you read about um, and you hear of situations. I mean, what is wrong with that? Can I say, what is wrong with that? People go out to a fashion store. They spend a whole lot of money on a dress, let's say, to look what? Like they're wearing a sack. Well, what a well, look. I mean, it, and then it's someone sim- compliments you, and then it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's crikey. a kin, it's akin to the situation sometimes you read about where, you know, I, I'm an old fashioned gentleman. I might open a door for a female lady to walk through. Well, of course, the the uh, the real extremists in the world, the real extremists, 
signify that as date rape or rape, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's been yeah, there's been um, writings about that from you know the the sort of um, militant um, neo-feminism left, I suppose. Uh, but you know, put put the um, put the I, I guess twisted around a bit. And what if this employee had said? Gee, I wouldn't wear that again. Yeah, but you look like you know. Yeah, I was just thinking pig, that. Pig, pig, pig ugly like in that thing. You look pig <laughs> ugly in that thing. Wouldn't wear that again. You know what I mean? And it, so, you know, she, she, this person, I imagine, would complain uh, about that too. And um, you know, as I say, it, it brings you back to actually, you may as well just staple your mouth together at the workplace because you won't be able to say anything or do anything. Well, I'm just thinking, what's the best country to move to? I've been asked yeah. that many a time in the last wee while, and I don't have an answer. No. Well, I'll do my own research on that, but, you know, it's kind of getting to that. This is not a country that I recognise, i got to say, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Are we done with this abomination? <laughs> I think we, we can leave it there. Yeah, 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 okay. We'll probably come back to it, no doubt. I hope I haven't said anything that sounds too extreme. I want to get into trouble. All right, new climate clauses. Here we go, climate. Yeah, so uh, uh, lawyers were advised this week by, um, by by newsletter, I suppose. There's a, a law firm in the city uh, in Auckland uh, that was set up uh, seven, eight, nine years ago or something, and they specialise in climate change issues and climate change matters, uh, litigation around climate change, what have you. And they've helpfully drafted uh, a whole bunch of clauses for uh, lawyers in the commercial area to put into their contracts um, and, you know, there's a whole, uh, we're talking different types of contracts. We're talking, um, uh, well, we call um, boilerplates clauses, which are standard provisions in every contract. There's, um, you know, climate change clauses for shareholders agreements. There's climate change clauses for uh, supply and distribution agreements, which is, you know, where uh, one party manufactures something and then decides that they'll give it to you, Paul, because you think you can sell 45 of them to your clients. So you you two enter into a supply and distribution type agreement. Uh, well, there are going to be, you know, uh, climate change clauses put into those uh, now I, I, so that, so that you know, we all um, can follow our obligations under the Paris Accord, the IPCC, and the Zero Carbon Act, and all that sort of stuff. So, and even an, even another one for a commercial lease. So, these were helpfully given to us, um, and a couple. I'll just read a couple because some of them, you know, are quite interesting. Um, so, here's a boilerplate um, green dispute resolution clause. So, it's not called a dispute resolution clause anymore. It's called a green dispute resolution clause. Um, any dispute should be handled in a manner that minimizes travel and reduces the use of paper. Okay, so that's you know, that's what's uh, you know, if you have a dispute with one party, sometimes you the best way to I think you know to resolve disputes. I mean, I know Katie was a litigant, and uh, the courts I don't think usually are the best places to resolve disputes. They take forever, they cost a lot of money, and um, you know um, they're very uncertain sometimes. I've been to many mediations and you get some very good mediators who will sit, you know, the parties around a table. Uh, you can get, you know, eight, ten parties around the table, including legal advisors for a whole day, even longer, day and a half, and you can thrash out a resolution, sign an agreement, move on and get on with your life. That could be a little bit more difficult if uh, there's sort of eight or ten people here and you've got a green dispute resolution clause that said that the dispute must be handled in a manner that minimises travel and reduces the use of paper because if you all have to travel to a central meeting point to have a uh, mediation around a boardroom table, well, that might be a bit difficult if your contract said you can't, uh, I suppose. Uh, let's have another one. Um, uh, further assurances. So a further assurance clause is basically a clause in a commercial contract that says that the parties must do you know, any other reasonable thing that enables the objectives of the party under that contract to fulfil its obligations under the contract, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's a green further assurance clause for you, Paul, and for your listeners. Uh, A green further assurance clause requires the parties to take reasonable steps to minimise their greenhouse gas emissions when performing their contractual obligations under this contract. Okay. Uh, let's have a look at one. Let's have a look at one more. Um, so that means no, no more. You can't travel uh, again 
to well, I don't know what it means, but physically but, yeah, go the, anywhere, or I don't know what it means. That the, I mean, I don't know what it means because only really a judge can decide exactly what it means if it ever gets to that point. But uh, the the thing about clauses and contracts is the parties have agreed, and you know, at some stage, if one of these clauses uh, might be breached, then the other parties of the contract can say, "Well, you've, you've actually breached a contract. I'm going to sue you or take some legal action under under the contract." You know, so. Um, it's all well and good just saying, oh, you should put this in your contract. But um, what, once you've done that, it, 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 it opens the door, I suppose, for the other party to claim a breach of the contract. There could be a, there could be one party to, to this particular contract claim that the other party, the offending or the breaching party, has not taken reasonable steps to minimise their greenhouse gas emissions when performing their obligations under the contract and they take legal action against them uh, in the court. To make sure that they do next time. I mean, that's you know potentially where we're. Could, of could there be a way of bailing out of a contract that isn't working too well for you? Um, Citing something, you know, one of those conditions. No. Well, we'll come. We'll come to bailing out under the next one of the next ones. Okay. Which because I, I practice in this area quite a bit and commercial leases and um, so a commercial lease, you know, between landlord and and, and commercial tenant. Well, this proposed commercial lease, and it's only abbreviated, uh, an abbreviation of what they're proposing, but the abbreviation um, I'll read to you, uh, it requires in the commercial lease, the parties under the lease, to understand the environmental performance of the building and to improve that performance and to use the building in a way that is more environmentally friendly. Now, I, I went on and I clicked on that. Well, that's interesting. Who's meant to pay for the uh, environmental performance improvement of that building. And this long-winded clause requires either the landlord or the tenant, depending on what the actual performance function is, to spend money for that building to bring it up to that improved uh, performance. And if the landlord, if it's the landlord that has to do that, and I don't know what that might be, um, you know, put in some um, insulator or some green, green windows or a heat pump or I don't know, some other greenery, sustainable thing for the building and they don't do it um the the, the clause that they have um suggested uh, could potentially allow the tenant to exit the lease um uh, and so you know um it's a little bit alarming that um i think you know um you could find commercial leases ended in, in such a, in such a manner in the future because it's certainly the fact that a building may not live up to a certain environmental standard really should have no bearing on a landlord and tenant performing their obligations under a lease of which the tenant's fundamental obligation is to pay the rent um, and to keep the building you know, reasonable wear and tear. And the landlord's fundamental obligation is to provide quiet enjoyment to the tenant and not to interfere their, their use of the premises. Um, so anyway, that's where that's going. Uh, so I just, I just thought that, you know... These are suggested clauses, and I, you know, I would like, um, what I, yeah, what I would like, I suppose, or would, uh, suggest perhaps if some of your listeners, you know, have to go and visit their lawyer for some commercial matter in the very, in the near future, and and these types of provisions are suggested, then they kind of just push back and say, not interested in this or that, please, thank you very much. Just put a line through them because they're not mandated; they're not mandatory. Um, and the obligations, um, I think, under the Zero Carbon Act are only um, you know, recommendations, I suppose, are not uh, binding on, on the parties. So, and neither of these. I mean, any any clause in a contract is a matter for negotiation between both parties. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get some you know parties say, "What a load of nonsense! I'm not, I'm not agreeing to this and that clause." Boy, it never stops. <laughs> Never stops. No, no, it, it's not. It, it just will never stop, unfortunately. And it's just, a, you know, it's a constant battle uh, against, uh, I mean, I would say a little, a little bit of insanity almost. It's just nonsensical, some of the stuff. And that's uh, opportunistic. It's the law firm that came up with these recommendations, right? I yes, that right. Co co correct. So they're being opportunistic. They're seeing an, an opportunity for themselves, obviously. That's uh, well, their I, I niche think, of I'm, business. Look, I give them credit. I think they're trying to be helpful to um, to other lawyers and law firms in the country and say, look, that th this is, you know, this is now we've signed a Zero Carbon Act. We've signed up the Paris Accord. We've got all these, you know, we've got to reduce our emissions to 1.5% or something by 2050 or whatever. So to allow all that, 
you know, lawyers have to, um, you know, lawyers are expected to um, make sure that the you know, climate change issues are addressed uh, in, in this country. So here are commercial clauses which can allow their clients to give effect to all of these, you know, kind of uh, wishes. And someone can always say, no, we won't do business, won't do business with you on that basis. Sorry. Go whistle, Dixie. See you 100%, later. 100% they can, sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. And I think um, our next um, topic of, of chat is something we've already looked at, uh, but you kind of updating us on it, Nick. So what's that? Yeah, so we have talked a couple of times uh, in the past on the show around the uh, independent report that was put together by the uh, by the Law Society for Lawyers and the changes to the way that lawyers are meant to be governed. And, of course, one of those changes was that it was recommended by the uh, report and by the people who put it together, the panel that, um, you know, going forward, one of the fundamental obligations of lawyers is to follow the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, there's a, a prominent uh, King's Council who, uh, in Auckland, um, uh, Gary Judd, uh, he, and he won't mind me mentioning his name, he, he writes articles, his name's out there, uh, and he's uh, he writes quite uh, eruditely and quite clearly on this topic against it, and, and, and he's a very... Um, is very vociferous on the on the rule of law um, aspects of of the you know, of his objections to this, and he wrote a quite a long article a couple of weeks ago suggesting that the report should be scrapped and we should start again because all this stuff is very very dangerous to the law profession. Um, well, the president of the law society uh, wrote a response to that in the latest uh, one of the latest law magazines, and uh, he said, "Look, uh, uh, Gary's got it wrong." Uh, lawyers uh, won't have to follow the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. It's the regulator of the the new proposed independent regulator of the law profession that has to ensure that lawyers do and has to follow it. So the lawyers don't have to, you know, when they're giving advice, give advice in accordance with the principles of the treaty. But the regulator is has to ensure that this mat these matters are taken taken into account and i don't quite understand the differences no, it seems a ask bit, you, what's the difference well it seems a little bit uh well again it's word. an outsourcing isn't it it's an outsourcing of of it but it's in reverse this time so it's, it's not us it's not us but it effectively means the same thing right oh, it does mean the same thing and it, yeah it, it does and so in response to the, the president's uh, little uh, letter, uh, the, the editor, in fact, to her credit, um, uh, wrote a note uh, in the magazine and said, look, um, it's specious, essentially, to argue that. Um, here, here are the direct wording from the report um, that relates to these matters. And in fact, she actually referred to um, an interview that the um, lead writer of the report gave, and, and I, you know, it was on another radio station, um, and he spoke to that radio presenter about the report, and he was asked by that radio host to name the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, and he couldn't do it. And so uh, the editor said, look, you know, uh, it's specious to actually say that this is not the intended outcome, and in fact, even you know, even the the writer of the report couldn't couldn't say what the principles were when pushed quite strongly on this other radio show. So that I just thought that was quite an interesting thing for the editors to do. And um, it, again, it's another another chapter um, uh, of involvement, I suppose, in in that little saga. Yeah, if you're going to go on a radio or anywhere media and be interviewed uh, about that. 101 is you, you know you're going to get that question and to not know not to be able to spell it out that, that seems like a bit of an amateur hour thing okay, oh, well, so I, well I, I think sorry i just think paul um in in his defense uh, he, he couldn't really spell out clearly what the principles of the treaty of Waitangi are because it's not clear what they are yeah and did he say clear. did he say look those those principles aren't clear i can't spell them out no, no, I don't, I don't think you said that. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's interesting. 
Um, on to our next topic, and it feels like we're kind of, in a way, circling back to the first one, Katie, the Centre for Informed Futures. Mm. What is the Centre for Informed Futures, and who comes up with these names, the nudge unit? Well, um, we're very seems that we're very lucky to have them um, because they're going to address the challenges to social cohesion. Um, their report, which uh, landed or was embargoed until 5 a.m. yesterday morning, um, is a report uh, that addresses the critical long-term national and global challenges arising from rapid and far-reaching social, economic, economic technological and environmental change. Um, so this is a uh, department heavily centred around the University of Auckland. Um, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly when I uh, say its uh, name uh, rather than the Centre for Informed Futures is uh, Koitu, um, which is a research centre and an independent non-partisan think tank. Of course. Um, at the University of Auckland. Uh, with associate members across New Zealand and the world. We've got a few um, uh, personalities that might um, uh, be familiar names of the last, certainly of the last few years. We've got uh, Professor Sir uh, Peter Gluckman. Former uh, Prime Ministerial Science Advisor. Yes, and uh, Director of uh, the Centre for Informed Futures. Uh, we have uh, Professor Paul Spoonley. Oh, yeah, they're all there. Yeah. Co-director. Uh, we've got Dr. Anne Bardsley, uh, who's a deputy director, and she was a senior analyst, uh, analyst in the office of the Prime Minister's chief uh, science uh, advisor. And we've got uh, Professor Richie Poulton, uh, Dunedin Multidisciplinary Health and Development Research Unit. Uh, we have Charles Royal, Strategic Advisor for uh, Māori. Uh, we then have uh, Hima Sridhar, former Chief Advisor for Industry and Science at the Ministry of Defence. Uh, and then Dr. Danel, uh, so Dornell uh, Klein, uh, Research Fellow, uh, an interest in economic security and inequality. Um, so okay. we've got that seven um, producing uh, this report, and I it I only got fed it um, late uh, yesterday afternoon to talk about it this morning, and um, it's really does feel like we've circled back to what we were talking about uh, first up in the show this morning, and we've got um, an analysis about the mistrust in government and concerns about that. And of course, we don't have mistrust in government when, you know, the government don't, uh, does overregulate or, you know, impose itself too much in our society. Destroy got, people's lives. Yep. It's got an acknowledgement between um, autocracy and um, um, democracy. And it has, you know, very, you know, it identifies key concepts that we've already known. Um, and then it goes and gives these quite incredible examples um, entirely based on the perception of um, uh, of these seven or so authors. Uh, so it is an incredible uh, report. One I suspect will be the basis for um, uh, future work uh, in order to curb or quash uh, social um disharmony. Um, unfortunately, we have these seven um, giving their views on how they're going to uh, create social cohesion. Um, the short time that I've read the, had to read the report, um, which is not that long, um, it's sort of 13, 14 pages of content with a, with a few references, but um, certainly their own views um, are dappled in here you know, suggesting that the 2022 protest in Parliament um, uh, was hostile confrontations um, 
and value-laden debates. Um, You know, the hostile confrontations, I think, is is, uh, probably selective, I think, probably for the um, majority of the time that the protests were going on, it was uh, very peaceful until the they knew arrived. It, they know it's peaceful. It's be they, they 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 know. Correct, and so you know, then you've got the situation where you know we're talking about undermining the trust in government, and then you could have a a direct reflection on the protests and say, well, uh, I have no doubt that had um, suitable ministers uh, met with protesters and to discuss when mandates were ending and the like and to hear hear, the, hear what they had to say. I think that it would have been a very different um, a, a very different situation. I, I think that uh, trust in government might have been enhanced as, to, as opposed to undermined. So there was definitely choices that were made um, around that. But that was, of course, used as an example, um, much like the online version of the article we were talking about at the beginning um, about extremism. So, look, it's an incredible report. Um, it's, I think, a foundation for a lot of what is to come. Um, it suggests that the media is um, the fourth uh, estate, uh, not the fourth branch. And look, to be honest, if the media was doing their job, I don't think Reality Check Radio would mm-hmm. need to be in existence. Again, and they know that. They know that. That's correct. That's correct. So, look, um, an interesting article. I'm sure it's now available online with the embargo lifting yesterday morning. Um, yeah. I, not one person from this group. Look, they just seem that they're all very interconnected. Um, incestuous is something I would suggest and uh, no doubt selectively chosen for messaging that they would give it seems very imbalanced um and i think for a document that is there to encourage the trust uh in government and institutions um it is being done so selectively well the pattern has been correct me if i'm wrong is that you get a think tank you call yourself a think tank and you've got some academic people in there with doctors in front of their names of all as you say interconnected through their various roles have all been in the trough, let's say. So you you come out with a report. Now media can say this expert think tank. Correct. And that amplifies the reporting. So at the um, consumer end, it sounds like this is all legit. You know, that this is these are the smart people and they've done their analysis and, and all of that. This is the technique that's being used. This This is a in my view, a pattern of play, and it's mm. done in a in a very deliberate way to achieve a result which has at the back of it plausible deniability by the folks who've generated it. I mean, it's I think it stands out like dogs, you know what? Because the, how can these people be so off the planet? Mm. Yeah, it's a hundred percent, and we'll just try in there a hundred percent, and what it's also doing. And we saw it, of course, um, markedly and quite emphatically, I suppose, during the COVID stuff. It's politicising science, right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've just had a look here. I was quite amazed to see, excuse me, that, um, you know, Sir Peter Gluckman has added his name to this because, you know, this looks like social sciences to me. I've got a quick look here um, about his background. He, his research areas are perinatal physiology, biology, developmental neuroscience and neuroprotection, paediatric and experimental endocrinology, and the interface between ecological, developmental, and evolutionary biology as it applies to human health. Okay, that, that's, that's his, I mean, he's, he, he is the only New Zealander to have been elected to the uh, United States National Academies of Science. He is a, he is a remarkable scientist without question but his background is a paediatrician, okay? He, he's a, a child uh, scientist, paediatrician, and I've just read his background. Um, and, and now all of a sudden, he, he's, he's you know, head of this institute and he's, uh, he's, he's put in front of the public as some sort of social scientist and able to comment now on social cohesion. And because he's so esteemed, and he is esteemed uh, without question, uh, the public just take what he says um, as a matter of course, you see. And, and I think that's 
kind of, you know, I'd have to agree with what you're saying, Paul, with the, with the way this is now operates, right? So uh, interestingly, again, I just go to, um, you know, I'm just looking here at, uh, at Wikipedia uh, on him. And it says in November 2022, Blackman criticised National Party leader Chris Luxon's proposed young offender military academies, citing the failure of the previous fifth national government's boot camp program for young offenders. As Chief Science Advisor Gluckman published a report in 2018, he concluded that boot camps and other inverted commas scared straight programs did not work, and in fact, all they did was increase, increase the prevalence of crime. So this is a paediatrician um, talking about causes of crime now. Uh, his name goes to it, and people just say, oh, it's a Peter Gluckman, it must be correct. And no one will call it out, or we are, but no one, no media won't call it out. No, so, they're not. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think if I take the a couple of the key comments um, when they're talking about uh, social and institutional trust and democracy, they say the under, underpinning comments, underpinning um, elements of that in a cohesive society is um, so, social trust and institutional trust. Um, and they, you know, this key to those is feeling safe and secure. An individual who does not feel confident or empowered to express their views uh, is likely to feel unsafe. And the evidence suggests that when people are anxious or fearful, uh, support for an autocratic government um, increases. And yet, rather than um, uh, talking about the issues surrounding the public health response, uh, the example given is the uh, the protest. So it's uh, devoid of reality. The empire um, strikes back. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) I've not got all the way through the report, so I'm sure we'll probably come um, up and talk about it again. And I'm sure um, other uh, shows will will touch on this because it is going to be a particularly important report from which I think, uh, which will be used as foundation for a lot of things. Um, Yeah, and and that's a good point, Katie, because this is where, you know, we're lawyers here and we should be talking about a legal show. And this is how... Essentially, the basis of law is um, it starts really right. It starts with a report on something. Uh, the report then, and this is the same with the Law Society report on how lawyers should be governed. It starts with a report. The report then that's quite important. That says a lot of cool stuff. It, it needs to get put in front of the minister, and the minister needs to now start reforming the law and, and put it in front of you know cabinet. The cabinet needs to put a bill, or the, or the, or the government needs to put a bill in front of parliament based on this report. Parliament needs to vote on it, and this is this is where it starts, right? This is how um, law reform, I suppose, is should happen. You see, um, and so from a legal perspective, from the process of lawmaking, these sorts of reports, and they might be, you know, to listeners dismissed as oh, that's you know, I'm not paying attention to that, but they're, they're very, very important for these sorts of reasons. Yeah, so you can see that um, at some point, um, something like this being a component of. Hate speech, hate, hate, hate speech laws, for example, you see. In the same way that the extremist, you know, uh, employment one was, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, you see, and all the stuff is put before, you know, potentially before um, the minister, Kerry Allen, the justice minister, who might now use it as, as kind of a weapon to say, well, we need hate speech, look at all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, and that's that point I was making before about getting a group of people together with names like you, you know, told us about Gluckman there. And, and suddenly it becomes something when actually, in reality, it really isn't anything. Yeah, it's, it's being able to hang your head. people blowing off mm. to or, use or, a or, or getting paid. <laughs> Look, I'd be interested to see how much this new, yet another new department or unit or advisory board, I'd actually be interested to know how many new authorities um, and public entities have been set up under Labour. They got, um, presumably would have been paid for that work, those people? Absolutely. I'm going to fire in an OIA, an Official Information Act request, to find out how much um, uh, went towards this. For 13 pages. Oh, come on, Paul. There's a few pages with uh, references in it. 17 pages in total, a front to back page of references, selective references, and uh, quite a lot. It's not of- even a great work product, is it, in terms of productivity? Look, I don't know what their brief was that they got to uh, that well, they, I would have, they received. For, for the taxpayers' money, I want more than 17 pages, even if I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's probably one of of, of a few. Um, 
I'll yeah. track down and see whether or not there was a tender for this work as well. But it looks like it was a new unit set up specially. Um, also, the language is woolly, isn't it? It's always slightly woolly, emotionally charged language. I'm hmm. finding there's a pattern to that, like unsafe. You feel unsafe. Well, what does that mean? Unsafe is not getting beaten up in the street. That's unsafe for me. What's unsafe me? Mm, well, actually, that's Mick, what does it mean to you? What's unsafe? It means you're not safe. Okay. <laughs> well, when we come to the end of the show, um, of course, keeping you up to date with recent cases, I've got perhaps a yeah, perfect moving, moving example. Right along. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a literalist, Paul, and that word, uh, as it's being a literal person, means you're not safe. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a bit like the word that I absolutely despise and I've told my daughter never to use around me. That's unfair, Dad. And I say, well, it's it's fair to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it's fair to me, then it seems fair. Yeah. Right? But it's unfair to me, but it's fair to me. So, you know, anyway. Okay, so Katie, carry on. No trouble. Uh, the last point for today um, and to keep you up to date with uh cases and current cases, uh, you would recall and no doubt have seen the uh, Posey Parker event, the very violent attack on the elderly 70-year-old grandmother, um, that vicious punching repeatedly. So someone was suggesting recently, the by the way, that that was a plant, but I don't oh, see how they could work. I couldn't say um, uh, as to that, but today they uh, were to court, presumably were um charged with assault and they received diversion. Oh. Um, so that means so, you don't have a record for it. Is that is that what that means? Uh that's correct with diversion. You well yes, you get diversion. It's recorded on your record to say that you've got diversion, but it means that you've got not got a criminal charge. Right. Conviction. Conviction. Yeah. Sorry, criminal conviction. Um, so, and would that be a normal um, outcome in this sort of situation? Um, it does come down to the facts of the situation. Um, I feel unsafe. We, we are, well, I would feel unsafe if a person is able to. No, I'm uh, talking about the one who did the assaulting. <laughs> okay, sorry, I misread. <laughs> Silly me. Um, yeah, that's all right. But look, it was. A atrocious um, uh, assault that was caught on camera. It would, I think, have been a slam dunk in the courts um, if, if it was prosecuted. Um, but to get diversion for this situation, I'm not sure if there was would be, would have been conditions around the diversion that was granted. Um, but essentially, this young gentleman um, has got away um, with beating up a 70-year-old woman, um, and there's there's no repercussions. So I don't know how safe I would feel going into a um, crowded group in the future in which uh, a large um, mob of angry uh, individuals um, uh, arrives and, you know, and apparently you can get away with it. So the police weren't there properly. We've talked about that already. And then when it comes to the consequences, there really are none. None. And look, what 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 happens, you know, they, they, we've got victim support and all these other bits and pieces, but, you know, what support is there for this 70-year-old grandmother? She's, you know, attending a, 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 a rally to let women speak, and uh, she is punched in the head multiple times. Um, and, and the extent of of the consequences for the young man that does this is not even really, well, not even a slap on the wrist. Diversion I don't treat as anything. No, and to get diversion, you have to firstly plead guilty and accept that that you're you're guilty of the oh, offence. Don't you? No, not anymore. Really? Yeah. I thought, I thought you had to plead guilty and, you accept, used to. And, and accept the police summary of facts as well. It might look. It might be that you just have to accept the um, police summary of facts, but yeah, I understood that you didn't have to plead guilty. Uh, guilty anymore. I could be wrong, um, but I, I think that that was an amendment recently. Right. Well, well, Amen amendment in yeah. practice, but we will double check. Yeah. So if you, I mean, uh, I think we agree that you know one of the um, conditions is you have to accept the police summary of facts, 
Uh, it would be interesting to see what those summary effects are, to be honest, because if they if they're quite you know laid out quite violently as to what this young man did, and he just puts his hand up and accepts it, uh, then you have to ask questions. I, I just go back to and, I, and I'll just say this again because I shake my head every time I hear about cases like and, and sentencing like this. I go back to Billy Tikahika and his offsider organized a peaceful protest during COVID that, yes, it was unlawful, but they organized a peaceful outside TBNZ studios. He went to jail for four months for organizing a protest. I think they also notified the police of that protest too. Correct. They notified the police. And so there's, there, there's preference. That's preference, isn't it? And that's what we're seeing. The preference for certain groups. Justice not being evenly applied, perhaps. Two-tier justice system emerging. Well, Too early well, to say that? It seems that there is no comparison between the two um, uh, the two examples and the outcomes are very uh, are polar opposite. Yeah, well, you've got um, the guy going to jail for four months for, well, you know, what did he really do? And and no consequence. I mean, if that was my grandmother, man, he'd be hearing from me. Just saying. Yeah, um, perhaps he argued tikanga. I don't know. <laughs> Say that again. He might have argued tikanga. Oh, okay. Part All of right. his defence. See, that might be part of his diversion. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, that would have been a smart move. Yeah. Okay. Um, would there be any comeback for the woman assaulted? So hang, hang on, hang on, hang on here. Well, it's not, uh, look, oh, you go, Katie, sorry. Well, based on my experience and knowledge of people that have gone through victim support, um, who's who's to know she would even find out? She'd probably find out from these socials posts that it had even happened. Um, and I wouldn't even know, I couldn't even tell you whether or not she's had a chance to meet with the uh, young man and his family to discuss the event or whether or not she's had any uh, supports, uh, whether or not she would have even been offered counselling. Um, so it's not about the victim um, in, in any criminal case, I don't think. Well, it, well, it is in this case because the young boy was the victim himself. Obviously. Oh, forgive me. Yeah. Sorry. So he felt unsafe. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, look, last time uh, I checked with Diversion, it was a long time ago uh, in, in the police or just after when I was doing a bit of criminal law when, uh, after I graduated, but I, I think the victim has to agree to the Diversion as well. Uh, that okay. used to be the, it used to be the case that the victim had to agree to it. Um, you know, I won't say potentially coerced by the police into agreeing to it. That would probably be a stretch too far. But, you know, the, the police have to represent the victim, the old lady, essentially, that's their job um, on behalf of the state and say, and so it, it is uh, part of their job to say, look, we think this is an appropriate case for diversion and we'd like you to consider it. Uh, it, it is their role. So um, it's, yeah, How would the, you even write that up? Uh, How could uh, you say 100%. in this situation where um, you've got a young man punching over and over and over again into an yeah. An elderly one's any face, anyone's face, yeah. irrelevant of anyone's face, on yeah. on camera, yeah. significantly bruised and battered afterwards. Um, you know, whether whether it's a skerrick of a doubt that it happened and who yeah. did it, and whether and, it's at Posey Parker or wherever it is, walking down the street in a dairy doesn't doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Could, irrelevant. Completely agree. Hundred percent agree. And this is exactly what happened when a lot of people reached out after the Posey Parker event that had been assaulted, that had been bet up, that had, you know, come seeking advice. Um, you know, one of the conclusions that we did make is, yes, make your, make your complaint to the police, ensure that they prosecute it, um, but do be aware that there might be the chance that these um, people that were violent towards you um, and, and did wish you ill, might get diversion, and it's playing out. Okay. Hmm. Be interesting to see what sort of uh, listener feedback comes from our chat today. Um, I'll store it up, and when we talk next week, I'll I'll mention some of it. Okay. So we uh, covered uh, four topics there, and um, it's always interesting to hear from Katie and Nick on the law. I always feel like I learned something, but I always find my blood pressure starts to rise at certain points. 
during it. <laughs> I don't know if that's good for me. I don't know if it's very safe. Well, you know, I had I had to um, read this missive from the law firm that put these clauses in to do with climate change, and I got to say, I just sort of take a few deep breaths and go, "Oh, you you got to be kidding me, right?" Yeah. Oh, well, don't go and read the Centre for Informed Futures report. No, no, I think I'll give that a miss tonight. That'd be like a sentence. The guy who punched the woman, we sentence you to read this a (laughs) hundred times. Yeah. No, please, give me jail. (laughs) All right, nice to see you guys again, and we'll talk again next Wednesday here on RCR. You too. See you guys. Bye. See you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.